Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column mm-hmm. Podcast. I am Camille Foster of Freethink Media. Delighted to be here with you today. This is uh, episode 26. Is that right? It's happy year. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's our half amazing. year birthday. It may hey. also be 27. I'm not sure. Right. Well, it's no, around it's, there. It's around But there. it's something around there. We're yeah. beyond 25. I'm sure about I'm sure of that. Who, who, um, had the, who had the over 10 bet? Did somebody have an over 10 bet? I'm not sure. Who's I knew it would be over 10. Did you? Yeah, yeah. This is never. But you, Moynihan was part of it from the beginning. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. The well, chances of failure are going to be pretty high <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Well, this, this, is, uh, this is your almost weekly. Uh, it's thing weekly. That we do. It's almost weekly. It is weekly. It's mostly weekly. The, the gentleman cutting me off right now and shouting into the microphone, <laughs> his name is Matt Welch. He is the editor at large of Reason Magazine. Uh, and we are also joined by Michael Man- Moynihan, um, of Vice- <laughs> Michael Moynihan. You forgot Michael Moynihan. Why not? Yeah, uh, of Vice News, uh, he does a project there. We will talk about that shortly, gentlemen. How the hell sure. are you? How's you it know, going? great, great, good, great. I want to. I want to say that um, we had a good response last week to the to the great Josh Zepps. Josh the, Zepps uh, is Australian, is a wonderful, remarkable a, human. A being. nice, a nice champ, uh, a comedian, a bon vivant, a nice guy. So he had me, as he's had both of you. He rounded this out. He kind of felt bad. I think mm. he had me on his podcast um, last night at uh, live at a bar here in Brooklyn. Um, which was really fun, and I had I had a really good time, and it's it's good because you can drink, and uh, I mean we're all drinking now, by the way. <laughs> we do sure. have a bottle of uh, sure of a crappy wine. Well, I'm not I assume it was crappy. Provi- at Ch- that was Chad, 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 the Trump supporter. Chad, over there. Uh, was... yeah. Oh my God, Chad. The, I mean, the fascist over there yeah. gave us a uh, then the audio man. You know what Chad's nickname is? What's that? Pepe the Frog. Oh, is it? <laughs> I was going to say Himmler. <laughs> That's what I call God. him. That's what I call Chad. Um, is Chad looking at us now? No, is he not? Not sure. he, he's, not. he's paying attention. He's paying attention. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You can't Chad. deny the truth. Uh, one question about Josh Zepps, though: Was he wearing those kind of too short shorts that he was wearing in here last time? Because uh, I was, I was kind of distracted by that. Uh, what? Because he's really looking at his balls. I did, no, that was not. He wasn't. It was a little colder last night. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so a little shrinkage. Uh, yeah, a little, no shrinkage. And um, let's see. And there was a, a, a head of the Young Republicans on, and uh, and he was a very nice guy. He was a never Trumper. Huh. And uh, and a comedian. I guess you can find it. What's it called? Something Live? What's the name of the podcast of this? We wanna, the People Live. We the People Live. Yeah. So yeah. I guess maybe that's online now. I don't know. But it was uh, it was very fun. Yeah. And by the way, I came, <laughs> I was replacing, um, this is how I get in. I get in as like a replacement. Uh, I was replacing Artie Lang. Uh, wow. Who already already uh, already couldn't make it. So um, had some I'm sort of uh, surprised to hear that he's still alive. So. Uh, well, who knows? Oh, the, <laughs> what is the latest with your your HBO project? What is the the date? That people will be able to see you in this new project. October tenth. October tenth. It launches on October tenth, Monday. Um, it is a daily show. The first time I think HBO has ever done daily content, um, and we have a, a new show on at seven thirty. It's an anchorless uh, news broadcast. There are no no traditional anchors, but it's a nightly news broadcast. I am the mellifluous voice of the show half the time when I'm on the road shooting. There's another person, but at the moment there's two of us. Uh, so I'll be doing the voiceover of the show. And there's little packages like you would see on the the HBO show that Vice does on Friday nights, the weekly show. But they're shorter, more compact. Uh, and shorter, more compact. So do yeah, you, do, do you do like you know? I just wanted to say that. Yeah, again. yeah. No, that's that's, that's that. shorter, more compact. And now packages. I'll and now I'll talk about the show. Uh, <laughs> no, and uh, 
And so we've been um, um, working really hard, working seven days a week. We're in the office literally on Saturdays and Sundays too. Um, my daughter doesn't recognize me and actually hasn't long before I started working on the show. And um, there, and we have a lot of really good material, that, some of which I'm really excited about. And I have a, um, um, I'll, I'll cheat one piece that I'm editing right now that I've been, I was in California. I've had a bunch of pieces coming up. I was in California um, doing something on Prop 60, the uh, condom in porn uh, uh, ballot initiative that will be on the ballot in November um, to expand upon Measure B, which is the ballot initiative in 2012 that required condom use in um, Los Angeles County. Uh, the permits uh, for pornography, which you have to apply for a permit, after that bill passed, dropped 90%. Because <laughs> shockingly, uh, they moved somewhere else, and, and we suspect if this passes... By the way, it's polling very, very well, uh, and people are going to be very surprised. The San Jose Mercury News had a piece on it yes, two days ago, the Drudge Link too, and it's kind of a sleeper issue because it's going to have a big effect on the economy of California with a small segment of the economy, because if this passes, they're all going to move. They're all going to go to Nevada and they're all going to yeah. go to Arizona, Florida, Nevada, and they pay a lot of taxes. There's a lot of people, hair, makeup, sh- shooters, cutters, uh, sound people. I mean, there's a lot of people involved in this industry. And if this passes, uh, it's, it's going to go somewhere else. You know, my uh, wife, uh, whose name is Emmanuel, uh, yes. which we uh, uh, enjoy considering that she made her name as a young journalist writing about the delocalization of the porn industry yeah. in Europe. I didn't know where that was going. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. so we, I mean... Uh, so you didn't know about her first porn, career. Was, porn in Europe was done in, I think, France and Germany mostly in the, in the 80s. And then after the wall fell, it all moved to Hungary. Huh. All of it. Or, you know, a, a large uh, part of it. So Pierre Woodman yeah. uh, <laughs> came out. Christoph Clark, who's a good friend, uh, the James Bond of porn. Uh, they all came to, uh, to Budapest because it was much cheaper to do things, and, yeah. and also because in Hungary, you just walk down the street and say, hey, you look nice. Do you want to be in my porn movie? And they say, oh, why not, yeah, uh, in yeah. a way that uh, they don't in the Czech, or they didn't uh, at that time in the Czech Republic. But it's amazing how how fast stuff can switch there, and they're very responsive yeah. to uh, you know market uh, incentives there. So I, Yeah, I mean, one of the things about this, and this is the kind of libertarian lesson of this, and, you know, it's a straight-down-the-middle piece. I mean, we're giving both sides their 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 voice and you know it plays out the way it plays out the top and the bottom uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, the the question that i i asked a lot of the uh, pro people um they're very difficult to get on camera by the way the, the, they have such a wide lead at this point there's no there's no reason for them to but i said i asked them do you worry about you trying to kind of overregulate a business resulting in almost the under and no no regulations in a business because they'll go to states where there are no there are regulations in California and they they're they're pretty they're pretty keen about following them they have there's a lot of stuff especially after the Tracy Lords thing in the 80s there's a lot of paperwork that has, and then they'll then go to states where none of that's required and so when they're trying to regulate this business what's going to happen is they'll end up making sure that there are no regulations in the business whatsoever because they'll go where, where there aren't any so well, you anyway. succeeded in making porn uh Really right. boring. Yeah. Yeah, Not thanks, at all man. sexy. Uh, so trust thanks, me, I was I was on a porn set a couple of weeks ago, and it is uh, is kind of boring actually. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. And the director it turned out we went to college together. So anyway, how how are you at fluffing? Oh. Are you, you like pretty good? I, I mean, I mean, what do you, it depends on how what do you mean by good? I mean, did I succeed? No. Did I have a good time? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Did I have fun? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, well. Just so no one thinks that only Moynihan is working really hard, I I came hard. directly directly from the airport. Well, that's not true. I stopped home so I could pick up my new Yeezys, which oh. came in the mail. But I hadn't had an opportunity to wear. 
So I wore them here tonight. If you uh, asked me why Camille stopped at home, I'd be like, it's I don't good. know, a new pair of Yeezys? <laughs> That's so, what you would have said, right? I'm totally they, serious. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, that. they look pretty great. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Oh, shit, those are actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah of bad. course they are. Yeah, uh, and they, they looked are. even better when Camille was doing, and I'm not making this up, uh, listening public out there. <laughs> Camille did like 45 push-ups. Right before the was, show, because he was 50. too. Because he was 50. too. Uh, yeah, I think you like, should geez, take a photos of a photo of those and post them on the. Um, uh, well, everybody, fifth you'll, column, you'll see them out there. Uh, Facebook, yeah, yeah, it's the three fifty. But, but it's you. It's you wearing two. them. Come I mean, come on, you know what that. You know what that looks we like. We do but greatness. The, but the kids out there don't just take it with your <laughs> stupid little Apple wristwatch. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is, um, that the, is that the new one? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. God, you so. You're so rich. <laughs> you know how so rich he is? I, so rich. I asked Can him. Can we not do that? I'm going to do oh, this yeah, right yes. now. No, no, no. no. You're, that's a good you're idea. paying for yeah. this. So I'm, uh, let's, uh, we can talk <laughs> shit about you. I'm people your address. They're going to steal your shit. Don't worry so about it. So I'm like, I'm like <laughs> Camille's talking about, oh, you know, because of this rich person thing, I am not. I might not be able to like travel to Chile or something. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, you Chile. travel too much. You're, you're too rich. Uh, yeah. But I assume, like you do, because of mm-hmm. your racism yeah. um, from Boston and whatnot, that he's just totally leveraged like you know, oh yeah he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got uh, he's a million yeah. dollars in debt and he claims to be uh he claims what are you doing uh, by the by the he's, way he's, he's hitting buttons over here by the way, pause? i want to i want to he ask, claims that I, he's uh that he's uh, living the, the debt-free lifestyle i want to i want i also want to point out that camille just so our um listeners can dislike him and, and or be envious of camille like a sort of hateful envious way um, because it's usually that the hate is usually directed at me. I'm trying to steer this all towards Camille. Yeah. He does not fly steerage. He will not <laughs> fly regular people. He has it's to fly. It's just not true. I actually flew coach tonight? this week. No, not tonight. But I on the way today, out. on the way to the way back, on the way out, fly? I flew coach. But that on the must, way back, was because it was, mistake, it was right? notable enough that he remembered it. Oh <laughs> my god! Oh it's my like gosh. I got hit by a car. I, no, I took coach yeah. once. Can we not do this? This is not good. We do don't you know, want to turn the well, one before we stop. Oh my god! I once He's not a bragger. I once uh, traveled with uh, Camille and Kennedy. Uh, we had a little <laughs> independence <laughs> tour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And my, you should have seen those two uh, just laughing at me for like standing in a rent a car line. They're like, "What is wrong with you?" Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't do that actually. All right. Avis, yeah. Avis preferred. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry for that, everyone. I'm the only um, proletarian in this room. You know, hey, can, and no, I'm don't, don't apologize, by the way. And I want to point this out. A number of people who listen to the show that I've talked to really enjoy uh, the non-political stuff when we are making fun of you, for instance. <laughs> That's the one thing. And then Josh Zepps, uh, uh, and and as you can tell by the the 14th mention of Josh Zepps, yeah, he, he is my spirit animal. Apparently. Um, uh, I think we're dating. Uh, but he, he said... Uh, um, you know, what he, that he, one thing he was surprised about the fifth column is uh, there's not a lot of crosstalk, that uh, Camille is a rigid enforcer of one-at-a-time talk, whereas uh, his is a little, uh, a little uh, looser in the uh, people yelling at each other. I just want it to be uh, easy for people to listen to at home, yeah, you well, know, so play a little yeah, bit of traffic cop. So but, much for that. Well, but, go, go, we can go ahead but and perhaps we should talk a little bit about news and not, okay, not merely politics, but we can start with the presidential contest, which is, con- which is continuing to roll on. There was a debate this yeah. week. Um, but one. before we get to the debates, before yeah, we get to the contenders for the Republican and the Democratic Party, uh, there is a guy named Gary Johnson. I think he's going to win it uh, long shot, <laughs> long shot political campaign is still still uh, trucking. Um, he is hopeful that he can make it into the second presidential debate. Uh, but before he gets <laughs> there, uh, he had to navigate this CNN town, not CNN, MSNBC town hall event. Chris Matthews. Uh, and Chris Matthews asks him a question. Uh, and the question was, I believe, um, who is your who who's your is favorite it? foreign who leader? Is, well, who is a foreign leader that you admire? 
It was first, who's your favorite? Right. Uh, and then it was like, uh, 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 who's one that you respect? And then it's like, you got to answer the question. Which yeah. continent? Is it Mexico or is it Canada? Uh, and this kind of yeah. stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and Johnson, like. You're playing it up a little it bit. It was the. I don't know uh, if it was that intense. No, it's just the way uh, Matthews yeah. talks. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's been, he was born coked out of a skull. Um, <laughs> And uh, and Johnson, like, time went really slow, and his eyes started to kind of glaze over. And Bill Welch threw like, him a lifeline. Who and... is my favorite foreign leader? <laughs> uh, and he eventually said, wow, I'm just having an Aleppo moment. He's given a name to this moment referencing a previous time that he fucked up, which is an incredible thing. So he's now trying to enter into the political lexicon Aleppo moment, which is a thing that's insulting to him, which is an amazing thing. No one else has said that publicly, calling it an Aleppo moment, except for Gary Johnson. Well, I mean, it, it was, was it, bound to happen. Though. It was bound to happen, it but does yeah. two, I didn't think it would come from him. It does <laughs> It does two things. You're right. It like calls back to a moment that he finds embarrassing. But it's also, I mean, it's like calling something a Sarajevo moment yeah, or exactly. Darfur. Yeah. Like bad shit's yeah, happening exactly. in Aleppo. It's not really exactly. something that you want to. No, that doesn't have to a... do with genocide. An Aleppo moment is when the dopey former uh, governor of New Mexico <laughs> forgets something. Something on television again. It's again, but by the way, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, um, Ryan Lizza did a profile of Gary Johnson in the New Yorker uh, about three three months ago, I think. Yeah. And in it, he has a line somewhere towards the end, which he expresses uh, shock, surprise, and dismay. That I think it was he didn't know who Harriet Tubman was. Right. And it's at the end of the piece. He's like Gary Johnson, like had no idea what I was talking about when I mentioned Harriet Tubman. And I was like, you know, maybe he didn't hear it, or maybe there was something. And then I'm realizing more and more, it's like he just doesn't know anything. Well, you he know, doesn't know very much. Just I, put it that way. I, I would like say, him. He's a very nice guy. I wouldn't say that he doesn't know anything, but I would say that he lacks the filter. Uh, he lacks a couple of things. One is the uh, what most of us learn how to do in those situations, which is just to nod your head and say, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, sure, I know what you're talking about." Yeah. Just like what Donald Trump did with Hugh Hewitt sure. when, he, when he was like busting him on Suleiman and God knows who else. But but back, Suleimani, by the way, whatever. and the Quds forces and the you know just getting into the weeds like that. That's what Hugh Hewitt loves because yeah. he's like obsessed with the Looming Tower. And have you read like the that. Looming Tower? Is Alger his spy? Or have you read the Looming Tower? And then let's talk about Suleimani and let's talk about like in the weed stuff. Is that naming a, a like you know a foreign leader, any foreign leader? Is not that challenging. So he, I'm he, sorry to say, but that's, asked, not, but that's it, not what he asked. Them, it's though. true, but even what he asked is not that challenging. Although I am going to challenge you both to name. What did he ask? Yeah, it, it was. I can't name, watch it. I'm too embarrassed. Who is your favorite foreign leader? Okay, that's easy right. Enough. But who then, is yours? But then he, Michael Moynihan. Who's mine? Uh, uh, he re-asked the question. He pulled a Johnson. Well, but it's two seconds. I don't. know. I always liked Anders Fogh Rasmussen, who is the 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 prime minister of Denmark. Still, is he still? Uh, no. There's another Rasmussen. No. Okay, so, so, f- f- so favorite. Oh, oh, current. Yeah, that was the implication. I don't know. I mean, you, if you were Gary Johnson, you say Theresa May. You know, I mean, this just she's a Tory, moderate Tory in the UK, Anglosphere. Just say that. But is she a leader? I mean, like, uh, yeah, I think you have to be head of the state. You have, be, you have to be in charge. That was in kind which, of in the, which case that's that's it's kind of hard. She's who's your favorite? Especially leader? especially if you are like me and you don't like the state. But in that's general. a great answer. In which case, in which, which case, she came up with today. We're, we're taping this. Uh, we should tell people. Uh, the, yeah. uh, what day is it? Thursday, Thursday. night. It's Thursday night. Yes, here? it is. So 24 hours later, he had a tweet uh, today that was actually pretty funny, which uh-huh. is like, uh, 
it's been almost 24 hours and I still can't come up with a name of a foreign leader who I truly respect, which yeah. is kind of like the libertarian fuck you yeah, answer. Uh-huh. And that's that's pretty good. What's really funny, though, is that, OK, so he he I think he he clanked this. This is a total airball of a moment. He was like, I am a brain fart, Aleppo. And then he named Vicente Fox. And at some point, Weld, Bill Weld uh, tried to bail him out by saying Angela Merkel. Um, and of all people in the world, like who you want to say has had a, a pretty good year. She's not one of them. She's, she's not one had of a pretty bad year. But yeah. then they asked, because this became a stupid thing for everyone to be excited about for four hours today in American politics, because you know there's nothing else to talk about. They asked Trump and Hillary Clinton the same question. Uh-huh. Hillary Clinton said Angela Merkel. Of course she did. And do you know who Trump said? What? Angela Merkel. Wait, wait, wait. I swear wait, to God. Wait, 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 no, wait, 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 no he on, did. Hold on. This happened today? This happened today. The man who hates Islamic extremism yes. and immigration? Yeah. 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 So he said uh, Angela Merkel. Or at least, you know what? Uh, I, I used to like her, but I've been very disappointed with her recently. Yeah. Like yeah. he just, I mean. Actually, by the way, better than Gary Johnson in the sense that at least well, no, Donald they, Trump knows that she's gave, done something disappointing. No, they yeah. all gave his answer. But, it, but it's a, I don't know. Look. It, this is not unlike the Aleppo flap from before uh, when it comes to my prerequisites, my qualifications for the yeah. office, whether or not you can remember the name of some foreign leader or whether or not you know uh, immediately like where this particular and city is and, and how it is involved in things. Camille. Not important to me. Camille. Not important Don't to me. Don't you? Doesn't that suggest no, that there's your, a guy who's Your performance so on television is not di- important it's to not me. About, it's not a performance. But it's, it this is. is. not a performance. No, it's not. It's not as if he, if given enough time and given a, a few clonopin, that he would have calmed down and been like, you know what, let me talk about you know the leaders of Western Europe, people who I think are doing a good job, a bad job, a good job in economic policy, a uh-huh. bad job. Because, you know, the, 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 pre, the position of president is a global position. Sure it is. And I would, I, would, I would hope that he has some sense. If you know what's going on in the world, if you know, think you know how to fix what's going on in the world, that means you have a pretty good sense but that's of what. Just it. Uh, if, like, but that's just it. But I don't think his perspective is that he knows how to fix what's going on in the world. And this is, and this is the fundamental issue with uh, someone, someone like myself, who when, why, when they look at politics and yeah. when they think about political problems, does not imagine solutions okay, coming from these people yeah. necessarily. Well, let me ask, uh, all let I want let them ask, to do is just not screw it up. Let me ask, screw it up. Let me ask he, both of you a question. I'll yeah. finish quickly. Sure. Like, he seems inclined to exercise restraint in any number of circumstances and, and to be deferential and be and, and be humble. And you know what? That's what I need. He's also, that is what I'm interested in. I don't, I don't want not, someone who knows the answer. He's also not particularly smart. That. I'm sorry that, to say. That's, that's okay. I don't I, actually I saw think him, anyone is I saw smart him enough to reason, do the job. I saw him at the Reason office in maybe 2008 or nine. And he was, uh, it might have been a private thing, and Jeffrey Myron from Harvard University, libertarian economist, was next to him. And anytime someone who threw him a question that he could not answer with a rote kind of libertarian, he'd look at <laughs> Jeff Myron as if, you know, like he was a little kid and someone stole his balloon. He was right. like a little baffled and he was like, help me, help me. And I was like, ah, you know, Gary's just kind of kind of gearing up to, to be the 2012 nominee. It's like, yeah. you know, when he got as much traction, he should have seen this early on, by the way, with, with candidates with such high negatives, saying like, this is going to be my year. This is the way, this is the time when I can do it. Yeah. But my question, though, is to both of you, and to, to you first, Camille, is that we know a lot of people, let's just say, let's, let's stick with libertarians. Okay. Let's stick with the party, the libertarian party. Um, and let's say that we can be golpistas, that we can overthrow it and be- have a coup and put, <laughs> install anyone we want, right? And 
let's think of all of our friends, all the people we know that we've interacted with in the universe of libertarianism. Sure. And say, okay, why? It's not about picking which one would be the best. Why are the ones that actually know things? Why are the people, because all the people I know in this universe are fucking brilliant. I know so many people that like, yeah, I disagree with, but I think they're fantastically smart. And mm-hmm. whether there's somebody at Cato, I mean, whether it's David Bose or Tom Palmer on the Cato end, or, you know, sort of people that are sort of more academic than, than think tank. Virginia Postrel. Virginia Postrel, who's mm-hmm. utterly brilliant and, and interesting. Deirdre McCloskey. Deirdre McCloskey, one of the great economists and, you know, author of, you know, three f- books, The Bourgeois Virtues, all this stuff is fantastic. Like, why is it that we don't ever get one of those people? It's not even halfway. Mm-hmm. It's not a halfway kind of, kind of smart think tank guy. It's somebody who can't name a foreign leader, somebody who doesn't know where Aleppo is when Aleppo is in the news ad infinitum for the past like three months why can't we get one of those people go camille are they too smart to it's, take that but, it, but it's still the premise the premise of the question bothers me um you're moving the goalpost why I don't, can't I don't why wanna, can't we get one yeah, Look, here's, the here's the thing that I think, person tell I think me why gary, yeah. i think the reason why gary johnson is currently running for office is because he is the former governor of a state yeah. Uh, in fact, we have two guys who are the former governors of states. And the trouble for the Libertarian Party is that they have not been able to get very many people who share their values elected to very high offices in government. But this is the which year makes it, when which people which don't want a challenge that, right? to, Which makes it a challenge to run. Kind of, sort of. But, but like look Donald at, Trump but look is like, the, he's the outsider. Yeah, we but, like look what that, the right? options, but look where the options were. <laughs> I mean, you had a very sure. young activist who has started a media company or something. Yeah. Uh, you had a guy who has Peterson. been, sure. I wasn't going to name any names, but yeah. in Austin no, no, Peterson, no, no, no. Um, and you have John McAfee, who is a murderer. There are questions about whether murderer. or not he murdered someone, or perhaps hired someone to murder someone, or perhaps just fled to Belize to live there, yeah. start a business, and definitely not work. murder somebody. Definitely didn't murder someone <laughs> yeah, and came yeah. back and ran for office. It's true. I don't know. I mean, true. of those three people, yeah. Gary Johnson is not a, a bad person to draw. And like I said, I think. <laughs> Gary has Gary has yeah. uh, integrity. He seems I, like a genuinely nice guy. <laughs> you're and, saying and that Han Solo is the best looking man in the Star Wars bar, which is true. <laughs> but like, why are these other people that we know are those, normal? Those people aren't smart. Those people aren't running for office. They, yeah, but they the question is why? Why not? And why don't we have somebody? Because I, I don't Gary Johnson lose. was never was wasn't a politician before he ran for governor of New Mexico. Yeah. Why don't we have people getting that? But position he also ran. Really as, but he also ran as a Republican. And look, and and. Yeah, if, if it were yeah, if true. it were for me, for example, I wouldn't run for anything. Yeah, uh, because I don't like losing, and I don't know that most of my ideas about things are extremely popular. Is it that also that and also, this I'm not office? The, I'm not going to play the game. I won't lie to you. It's a bad job too. Does it attract sure. people that have narcissism problems and you know are anti intellectual? Well, and I mean, what is it about the the I position mean, that's generally so... speaking, when you're running for political office, you're a sociopath? Yeah, it's true, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's true. actually true. I, I don't think Gary uh, Johnson is a sociopath at all. At this point, I, I know him uh, better than I should know politicians, um, which is not to say very much, but uh, I interview him a lot at least. Um, and he seems like a pretty, like, just decent guy. Yeah, yeah um, he is a decent guy. Uh, and uh, But I think the people who are attracted to third-party politics are different than people who are attracted to politics, politics I think that's true. Right? You're a, you, uh, People who want to play the big boy game and to win within that, it's constant kind of negotiation, compromise, kneeing out the opponents mm-hmm. here, scratching this back, and all these kind of things. Third-party stuff is different entirely. I mean, you have – and today – and again, we're doing this on Thursday. Daryl uh, W. Perry, who came in fourth 
place uh, in the Libertarian uh, Party convention for Who? Daryl Perry. Um, <laughs> I don't know that. Um, well, you wouldn't. Uh, why would you? It's a, a third party, f- fourth place finisher in the uh, in the presidential campaign. <laughs> wow. He announced, but he was the guy who was representing the libertarian wing of the Libertarian Party. Sure. Super anarchist. You know, when when they have uh, tape from C-SPAN of their presidential debate and they were arguing over driver's licenses, he was that guy. Yeah. Arguing uh, over yeah. like you know should should we have gotten involved not in World War One yeah. but in World War Two? He yeah. was that guy. Sure. So today on Thursday, uh, he announced that he is uh, uh, having a splinter run for the White oh, House, God. Uh, like a write-in, limited write-in candidate of here because he really – he said he, we have to at least get the libertarian on some ballots, a real libertarian uh, is his thing. Um, so uh, this, the, these arguments. Let's split that tiny vote even more. Yes. Right. But I mean, those, but uh, uh, these are the people who are attracted to third party politics. They're people who are into schisms, who, but who at the same time, who are also into the absolute drudge work of going out and overcoming all these ballot access restrictions and everything else like that. They've done heroic work to get on 50 ballots Absolutely. there. I mean, then the Green Party's done pretty good work to get on 44, which is the most they've done, I think, sure. since uh, Nader. That's fine. You don't have to shout them out. So no, I can shout them out. I mean, I, I appreciate people who are getting into it instead of just like uh, you know Johnny come lately is like uh, Evan uh, McMuffin or whoever from, uh, <laughs> oh. from Bill Crystal's Fever Damn Dreams. you, McMuffin! Uh, but uh, so like it attracts a different uh, breed of person, and it's someone. It's it, it, to Camille's point. It's like, hey, look. You smart, telegenic person. And in fact, a lot of people who listen to this and who come to reason who all love Camille and hate you, Moynihan. I know. Uh, and I know. they hate me about yeah. uh, not quite as much as you. It's radio, though. If they saw Camille, they'd probably hate him because uh, they're all racist. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but Camille... if they hate me and love you, then I'm going to call them racist. <laughs> Camille <laughs> doesn't want to run because he doesn't want to lose. Because if you run, you yeah. lose. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know what? I, 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 will say, I will say this. I think they're, I don't know that it's a waste of time. I mean, I, I think the Gary John. Campaign was about uh, investing the the libertarian brand, the libertarian party brand. Okay, question: um, let, Has he harmed the band? Brand, Has he harmed? He's white. Know, he's white splaining you right now. He's harmed the brand. You don't even know what I'm going to say. I know. I was, I was interrupting to ask you a question. Yeah, don't ask me a question when I'm making a statement. No, but I'm not interrupting to say Come something. On, Nick. I'm going to ask you something. Hold me down. Hold me down. <laughs> Wait, you're um, using I more. Saying, you're using more black scent now than you did with Charlemagne the God. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> no, I was I was saying that he was he was investing the brand with uh, a sense of sort of uh, being respectable and conventional, um, and having sort of a traditional pedigree. Uh, and I and I don't know that that is a bad thing at all. I think that's it. It is a good effort to try to make, uh, and to the extent. I or someone else who we know was able to do something like that for the party. I think that is not a bad thing. More people know what libertarianism is. I have talked to more people like this campaign cycle about uh, those those odd ideas that Gary and I share. Uh, and I'm I am pleased with that outcome. And quite quite honestly, when people uh, derisively like talk about uh, talk about Gary and the fact that he didn't remember an answer. Uh, I am almost always able to turn that conversation and say I would much rather have a person who doesn't remember an answer than a person who pretends they know everything and screws everything the hell up. Uh, the the track record of someone like Hillary Clinton, who has been elected to office and is apparently very, very knowledgeable on any number of issues, is so pathetically and fantastically bad that, yes, I would take Gary Johnson over her a, a hundred thousand times. And quite frankly, most other people like y- you ought to feel uncomfortable with yourself 
if that is the choice that you would make, if you would choose her over him. That is my perspective. Look, I think it's a compelling argument. It's an argument you've made a number of times and one that I'm about 70% on board with because That's it, all I need. it acknowledges also that I think they're all disastrous. But that would also um, require you to hit every voter. That you would actually be able to talk to every person I talk to every day. Sure. Because, because what I think about Gary Johnson is that getting out there uh, and sort of getting the brand out there and getting it into the bloodstream is sort of a mainstream idea that there is this third person that's siphoning off 10% of the vote is a good thing and a great thing. And all of a sudden, it seems to be less of a good thing because every person I've talked about uh, this since, uh, look, we were in the kitchen right now with uh-huh. Chad. Yeah. And, you know, he said he made a joke about Gary Johnson. And there was some other guy here, sound guy or something, yeah, yeah, looked, yeah. looked like a sound guy. He looked like a... Oh. I guess I don't. He looked like I, <laughs> that's yeah. helpful. No, he looked like a. He just looked like a guy. You know, like a like ah, a it's guitar tech for do. the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, face, I mean, he was face like a, a radio. He's, I he was and 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 he said uh, Gary Johnson. And he made some like comment about yeah. how, like how dopey and stupid. But, but like this, is the he thing, might, I he worry even be about able to pick him out of a lineup. I which is I understand that, but I worry about associating the brand of libertarianism I mean, it, with this it like can't really fall, goofy utopianism. I I think that's true. Johnson probably true. Johnson is not a utopian. No, he's not. No, no, I, no, no, it's not. Yeah, no, 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 it's no, no, a caricature. No, no, no. He's he's to. It's the caricature. It's not what actually he is. But I talk to people and they're like, oh, you guys like want to live on oil derricks and like don't know anything. Yeah. Well, we, we <laughs> are 30 minutes into this conversation. Let me pivot because uh, I've got a bridge. Get that out of there, I got, yeah, like, pull, pull that. We're starting to sweat. Sweaty up. They don't people don't understand the temperature in this room. Oh, my God. We have a towel. We should take pictures here. Fifth There's column a, There is a white towel in a square like hole in yeah. the ceiling of this room yeah. that prevents, I don't know what, the rats from the, coming in? The, the, the airflow. Air air yeah. We're in a studio, so if yeah. there's air blowing in the studio, it could get picked up on the mics. So that could be an issue for everyone. I guess you're. I think it's also to keep it because it gets a little cold. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little cold. Uh, I'm wearing a. I'm wearing a fleece. Here's a way of uh, of thinking about uh, about the issue that could also serve as a potential pivot here. So, um, on foreign policy, crudely speaking, uh, maybe you want three main qualities. One of them is knowledge. Hmm. Uh, one of them is judgment, and another one is temperament. And I think there's no question that in this race, on the knowledge point, Hillary Clinton is way here, and like you know, Johnson is probably a distant second, and Trump's a distant third. But they're like not even close to Hillary Clinton on the knowledge part. Yeah, judgment. I'm going to put Johnson ahead of both of them, uh-huh. uh, considering that Hillary Clinton still calls Libya smart power at its best and uh, voted for the Iraq war and just does not seem to be very reflective about where her instincts have taken her. Sure. And then temperament. Uh, Trump is a, a human piece of flaming garbage uh, uh, <laughs> who is very thin skinned and acts like a three year old on a elementary school playground, except without the grace. Um, and so and whereas uh, Johnson, God love him and hate him for everything that he's done. He's humble. His his temperament, which is like you want to throttle him because you should be better at media than that. You just should be yeah. if you're out in the ring. Um, but his temperament also says, I don't really know everything. And I'm going to ask people, including Jeffrey Myron or whoever else. Um, and I'm going to respect the limitations of my knowledge. So it's a way of thinking about it yeah. and also to kind of look forward to both the next presidential debate and look backward but, yeah. at the previous uh, presidential the, the, debate. And the, and the previous debate, which I did a panel at the New America Foundation, um, and, you know, it was all it was all pretty sell out. It was all <laughs> left of center people. Um, and so I did this. And, and, you know, I was talking about it on this panel beforehand. 
uh, the thing about it is that that what Gary Johnson has to know, and we talk about this of like, does it matter? <laughs> what? Dude, are you actually draining that bottle? You're gonna give me some. I just poured you some. You just poured. Can you just? Can you? Oh, hold on. Poured, just give it. I poured. Right up. Just finish it up. Top it up. Oh, oh God. There you go. You're actually cashing that bottle out right now. Yeah, I am. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. I don't know the point I was making, but at the debate, <laughs> the important thing is that what, for 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 Johnson to. I mean, it's the perception is. You're gonna give me more. All right, sorry, we're drinking a little bit here. Please, shaking his head. But you know, I mean, uh, during famous debate moments, none of them have about, been about policy. They've been about gaffes, and they've been about perception. They've been about looks. They've been about good lines. You know, I I knew uh, Jack Kennedy. You're no Jack Kennedy. It absolutely means jack shit. It doesn't mean anything That's at right. all. Uh, there's no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe is a stupid gaffe. It's the only thing that anyone remembers about the 76th debate with Gerald Ford, etc. And so Gary just it's not even a bit like, OK, well, do you want somebody who has more knowledge and, and is is actually bad in practice? We have a track record of Hillary. Camille is right. There is no there's no do dodging or ducking or weaving from that. The only way you can to sort of defeat Camille's argument there is if you like Hillary Clinton and you think her policies were a net positive for the world. And there are some people that implausibly argue that. Is that true? Where there, are there are people, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think even yeah. most of her supporters don't like her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neoconservatives are one of them. But, but the thing is, is Gary has to realize is that, you know, I, it's not like boning up on, you know, some arcane point about economics is like just don't look like an asshole because that's all presidential politics are about how do you fail in a presidential debate how did donald trump fail i don't think he failed as bad as people thought he did by the way i mean that first half of the debate i think he did pretty well first half hour sure. I, I thought he was like i was like oh my god he's just gonna crush it because he's better temperamentally he's nasty but it plays better on tv and she seemed flustered and she seemed checked out yeah. and he was just needling her but that is when anyone judged that debate after the fact when everybody was prognosticating, before it was all about policy. After the fact, everyone's sitting around tables on MSNBC, CNN, you know, Fox, whatever, and you know, blogs and, and, and Twitter the next day. It's all is none of it was about policy. Right. There was like, do you see how he, you know, Trump got flustered and he did this with his mouth and he did this. Look at the number of yeah. uh, of, of comments and things. It's all, the, all the sniffling. Is he, all is the he doing sniffling. Coke? What is this? And like, none of it was about substance because tr there is no substance although coming the, from Trump. Although the next day there was a Washington Post story. Um, I think it was uh, the the monkey cage where they talked about the fact that Hillary Clinton was talking That's all racist. Was all <laughs> Hillary Clinton was all about uh, detail and laying out specific policies and. There were a lot of numbers really? and, and Donald Trump just sort of was vaguely talking about ideas. Um, and yeah, well, Hillary did throw out numbers. She did do that thing. Uh, but the distance, I suspect, between the numbers that presidential candidates talk about in a context like that and their stump speeches, the promises that they make with respect to the number of jobs they'll create and all the money sure. that will be saved. Sure. It's always bullshit. Exactly. Which for me, it's very hard because I do not care yeah. about the political theater at all. Um, the, 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 the respectability game is one that I am only interested in playing, uh, to the extent I can smuggle my guy in there. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, like, I just don't care about it. I wish people would pay attention to the substance and on substance, there just wasn't much of it on stage.
It was yeah. amazing to watch uh, Trump. I mean, it, you're uh, saying, and rightly so, uh, Michael, that Trump was doing pretty well in the first half hour. Yeah. And what was he doing well with? It's something that you and He's I totally with disagree with him about. Trade. Which is He's trade. He was attra- attacking Hillary Clinton from the left yeah. on free trade. And she's already... Uh, uh, as a general election uh, candidate, more to the left on trade than anyone since at least Dukakis. And mm-hmm. frankly, I sure. don't remember what Dukakis's policy I on trade was. I assume Dukakis is probably fairly neutral on trade. It's just the assume. eyebrows you, and the you, helmet. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, so, like, uh, he was – he was doing it well because he was calling her, you know, a bullshit artist, which she is on on this particular issue. Thank God she is yeah. on this issue. So when she becomes president, she can sell out. And, no, and, yeah, and, yeah, I know. Our hope is that she's lying. Yeah, it's great. Uh, which uh, which is kind of awful. Yeah. Uh, but uh, people forget in her first opening, like five minutes. I mean, with the first five minutes of that, I thought was the best possible five minutes for Gary Johnson ever yeah. because she threw out like, well, I'd like to see more profit sharing. At companies and, yeah. you know, equal uh, work for equal pay or vice versa. And just like a rag nonsense, bag nonsense of like stuff, lefty yeah. econ crapola. And then he like tried to, well, 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 Hillary and I agree on childcare, but maybe I want to throw more money at it. It was just like a statist like face off. Yeah. yeah. Um, before they got to the good insults. So the policy stuff was actually abysmal uh, from uh, from where I sit. Uh, and, uh, and I suspect you guys, too. And then it became more interesting because what what were we there for? What was everybody there for? I think it was it was there's two different worlds that yeah. have nothing in common. As we've gone through this big sort, and everyone experiences this in their own ways, geographically and else and elseways, universes that never collide are and haven't collided really all that much over the last eighteen months of this horrifying campaign suddenly were there. That was the drama of it. There's never there's not going to be a debate that it's going to have a higher audience than this no, one. No, that's it's, the highest it's the highest ranked debate in the history of televised debates. And why? The question is is that I mean, are we in a more dire situation economically in a foreign policy sense, existentially, than we have been in the past? Not no. at all. Not at all. <laughs> no. And, and so why is that? It's well, it's the same reason that when I was a kid I used to watch skiing and hockey. I watched skiing to see people crash, and I watched hockey to see people fight. Yeah, I didn't. I I, I wasn't sitting there You're like such I, trash. I, I'm you such trash. Such I'm trash. Like, I'm Moynihan from Massachusetts. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Well, this is the, I, we're not there to like see the nuanced policy debates. It's like we want to see like him jump off the top turnbuckle and like split her head don't, open. Don't say don't say we that way. I only watch because I didn't. I only watch because I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the guy in the room who couldn't talk about it intelligently because he didn't actually watch Nobody it. Nobody, nobody so that I talked to who watched it could talk about it intelligently. And, th- and this is my problem with people in fucking New York. I'm driving so crazy. <laughs> Everybody I talked to, I'd say like, man, you know, I said debate last night. Yeah, I had debate last night. I, and my first thing would be like, it would throw them off so much because I didn't talk about Trump and start slobbering about Trump. I was like, Hillary Clinton is really bad at this, isn't she? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I thought she was amazing. I thought she was, I thought she was brilliant. And I thought she was special. Yeah. And I, you know, she's our FDR. And I'm like, you don't believe that this is aspirational. I, ca- I what call that trumped up trickle down. Oh my god! <laughs> when she said really that, bad. like for the I, third time, oh so gross! Like I like one, I was puking. People, things were receding into my body. It was so <laughs> disgusting. And oh, like, you were watching with Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Is that a compliment? <laughs> or that, sorry, unclear. It's I don't unclear. Even uh, unclear. But it's you know. First but I, I, shorts. I, I did. I did. Geez. I did watch it with him. Uh, yeah. No. But it's really funny that nobody in this city can admit that she that okay. Like I don't want Trump to, but she sucks. I, it's the point now where everyone right before they drink the Kool Aid 
is like, you know, Jim Jones has probably got a good idea, but inside they're like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And like, I'm in Guyana for what reason? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's going to be amazing. It's like, okay, I'll just follow. But everybody who's making this argument cannot make a coherent argument to me. It's like, you honestly think she's good at this? At retail politics, at debating, at no, she's not. And like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're saying that. I'm like, well, don't conflate this with, I want Trump to win. I'm just being honest with you. Nobody can admit the fact because they're so desperate for her to win. Your uh, your friend, uh, Glenn Greenwald, had a, uh, a tweet uh, that I will mischaracterize uh, here, but it was to the extent of the word false equivalence in 2016 means you're criticizing Hillary Clinton and you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And in fact, that came up with yeah. something that we're, that, uh, that we're going to talk about anyways, uh, which is the uh, Bill Maher and some other people came yeah. out to uh, attack Colin Kaepernick, not for wearing a Che Guevara shirt or yeah. a Castro shirt, whatever that thing yeah. was mm-hmm. in the press conference, not for wearing socks on the field, showing pigs, cops yeah. as pigs. Yeah, right? kind of a bad look. That's, yeah. that's kind of a bad look. I don't think even Radley has those. I, <laughs> I was the defender in this room of Colin Kaepernick, but like I'm not going to defend those socks or, and especially that shirt. Uh, but what exercised a Bill Maher is that uh, Kaepernick was interviewed on Monday, I believe, and they're like, hey, what do you think? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. And yeah, because it was the day after the debate. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, what do you think about the debate? And he said, I dislike both. I think basically they're both racist, so screw them. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, Bill Bill Maher is like, you know, false equivalency. Why don't you stick to things that you're good at, like getting sacked? Like Mm. suddenly, Maher- Now now you're on my side. Yeah, you can do all those other things. That's fine. Yeah. That's you. That's you. Like breaking the Overton window or yeah, something or yeah. other, and and uh, and expanding the zone for a conversation. But if you actually say that Hillary Clinton is either mediocre or she's venal in any way, and you are or a racist, as he called her, or as racist, which is yeah. a pretty strong accusation, and uh, not anymore, it's not. It yeah, used to be a strong accusation. Uh, now it's just everybody that you dislike is but, a racist. But like that, that, that's that's the world we live yeah. in right now. In the next forty days, is that you can't just say make a plain observation that. Major party candidate X is obviously bad because of this reason, because it's all uh, so boiled can, down. So can we talk about this this kind of mediocre football player who for has been smart enough in some way? I mean, it's actually not smart at all. I, I, here, I'm going to take a, a quick thing. People, I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day that, well, you know, he's not like the greatest quarterback in the world. Nobody really knew of him. But he was smart to play the moment and actually become the probably most famous football player in the world by doing this little stunt. Sure. Okay. Um, Cover no, a time right now. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't agree with this in any way. And the reason I don't is that I, I used to say, people used to say to me all the time, Madonna. Remember Madonna? She's now this, she's like a 68-year-old, you know, French woman or something. Now. She's like shriveling in that castle in Lyon or whatever. But she used to be quite, quite famous. And people used to say this all the time to me. She's a change, marketing genius, Madonna. Marketing genius all the time. Add a nauseam and hear this. Well, no, because if you're famous and you become famous on other people's songs and other people's production and you're attractive and like you take your 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 top off and then you put it like pre-internet and you put it in a book and like foil it up and you're naked. Uh, people buy it. It's not it's not like there's not a big thought in that. It's not like she created like, you know, she's not Elon Musk. I mean, she just took her clothes off, right? <laughs> she's Colin... taking less government subsidies, Michael. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, this is the Colin then, Kaepernick then Elon thing. Musk, you're yeah. saying. Yeah, Ka- that was a shot fired. She, he's the Kaepernick is like the Madonna. Like, he's getting so much credit for doing something. He's like, this moment right now, all you have to look around is you see the media now. And it's like, they're like fish waiting for chum. And that just like anything about an ism, about a race. like race. And that's why we have people covering Twitter. Like, yeah. so... 
basically somebody says something weird on Twitter. Some guy who was on a TV show in like 19, 2008 for like three episodes and he says something on Twitter that's like racist or offensive or whatever. And the Daily Mail will have a story on it. And if they're big enough, like, you know, Amy Schumer or something, it'll dominate the news cycle for a long time. Now, if you do that in the opposite direction where you're like a famous person and you say something in a social justice way, yeah. you run the tables for how long? How long's Kaepernick been doing this? The coach the other since, day. Since August. We talked about this yeah. with the coach. Um, uh, was the Dallas Mavericks coach? No, it should be uh, the uh, Spurs coach. Spurs, uh, Spurs coach. coach. Yeah, Spurs Popovich. Popovich. Yeah, but who's, who's said, ah. like, who said this thing like yeah. about, about how horrible everything is. And it's like, you know, he, everything he's ever done that we hate, he's forgiven. And it runs the tables. It's so easy. It's so easy. It is so easy. What What is brave, by the way, is to be a Camille Foster. Uh, <laughs> this talking is about true. race now. Because Camille was on Charlemagne the God, and we love Charlemagne. Yeah. I uh, showed the other day, Camille, uh, he's got a big audience. He has over a million Twitter followers, a million this, a million that. Really, really popular in the hip-hop world. Really, you were really on. Really funny. Really yeah. funny. Really good dude. Great work you were, ethic. You were on. Um, what happened? Yeah, so I, I went to do Charlemagne's podcast last week. I think we recorded it on Tuesday. Um, and Tuesday of last week was just after the Tulsa shooting yeah. had broke. Um, yeah. So at that time, you know, things were things were pretty animated. Um, the, the, the people were getting their first look at the video and hearing the audio of the police officer say, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big, scary guy down there. He looks like a bad dude. He might be on something. Um, and we started the podcast by talking about, and Charlemagne is one of the, he is probably the biggest, uh, sort of radio dude in, in the hip hop, in the hip hop, in the hip hop sure. game. Yeah. Uh, but he also does a bunch of other television stuff as well. For those of you who are unfamiliar, the podcast is called brilliant idiots surrounded but, by bodyguards, like two bodyguards. Charlemagne? Charlemagne? No, no. He, I mean, two he, friends, he, it's his brother. <laughs> it's his brother. Wax. That's, who, uh, it's usually just that's him and Wax brother? hanging out. Yeah. That's his brother. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize. Uh, just to point guy. out that Charlemagne is an insanely nice guy. Yeah, really he's a super guy. nice guy. Yeah. He's a super nice yeah. guy. But uh, I'm sorry, I got uh, I got slightly derailed there. At any rate, we start off talking about Kaepernick, Kaepernick. And look, I give my perspective on it. I think both sides are awful. I don't like people who insist that he needs to stand up. Um, I also think if you are going to have an advocate on these issues, he is probably the worst person in the world to do it because he's an idiot. And he doesn't know a lot of things. And he yeah. shows up at his press conference wearing a Castro shirt. Um, I say a lot of other things. Um, but I, I start the conversation by saying that, look, I care deeply about these issues. I think there are issues here. The police need to be reformed. There needs to be transparency. When there are shootings, I can't speak to this Tulsa shooting right now because we don't know anything yet. Because he said, explain to me what that man was saying when he said he looks like a bad dude. How is that not racism? I said, I have no idea. Neither do you. We haven't seen any facts yet. We don't know what's going on. So let's not rush to judgment. What seems important to me is that we all agree that there needs to be reform. Looks something like this. But most of the conversation about racism, and this is where I went wrong, uh, most of the conversation about racism in the context of these shootings, I just don't know that the facts substantiate it. Um, and I make that argument for anyone who is new here. On the basis of the fact that when I look at the actual shooting data that The Guardian and The Washington Post have compiled, because that's the best that we have, which is a whole nother problem. And when I contrast that with the share of violent crime that black people commit in this country and are also victim to, they're both perpetrators and the uh, victims of these crimes. In general, those numbers are sort of in line. And there's not a lot in the police shooting numbers that suggest to me, yes, black people are killed at a higher rate than whites, but they also commit crime at a higher rate 
than whites. Um, and when you actually control for who has a weapon and who doesn't, for who is reportedly attacking the police and who isn't, there's not a lot there that suggests that black people are any more likely to be killed as, as it pertains to the sort of their share of violent crime than white people. And I made that argument and that's it. But we agree on the need for reform. We agree that there are serious problems here. I'm not an apologist for the cops. I'm a radical libertarian anarcho-capitalist lunatic. Um, and I was pilloried on social media. I'm an Uncle Tom. G- I'm a house set. nigger. Yeah, I'm yeah. a coon. I'm yeah. all sorts of awful things. And yeah. this is probably 80% of the feedback that I got was not anything specific. It's just, you don't know anything about our history. You're a sellout. Um, and apparently, I also sound like a white dude. Um, this is what I was told <laughs> yeah. told repeatedly online. I can't believe the, the one of the tweets I shared with these guys uh, earlier was, I can't believe that nigga Camille is black. Yeah. And this, for anyone who didn't know, nigga actually just means person. Yeah. You can just use yeah, it just, use just it. casually. Yeah. So please try that at home with yeah, your friends. Yeah, sure. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, it'll, it won't blow up in your face. But, but Camille I, it promises. Is, it is a little amazing to me that yeah. people, the people can, well, it's actually not so amazing. It is, it is disheartening um, and it's not at all surprising. But there's just, there's something, the argument that I make is that the reason in injecting race into most of these conversations is that it conflates multiple issues. Our, all of the weird baggage that we have as a society when we talk about race and then this other specific thing with respect to police shootings. And the fact of the matter is that there isn't a lot of transparency, but getting transparency doesn't necessarily require yeah. that we make this all about race and that we speculate about whether or not the cops are shooting people because of race. And I mean, the Tulsa shooting, as well as the South Carolina, the Charlotte shooting, um, which is in South Carolina, um, and even this most recent shooting in San Diego In every single case, I said, look, these are anecdotes. It's a bad idea to form policy on the basis of these anecdotes. And it's a bad idea for us to get way out ahead of the facts because the facts will change. As it turns out in Tulsa, the guy was acting somewhat erratically. There were 911 calls made by two different passersby about a guy who was out of a car in a car that was in the middle of the street before the officer got there. Now, maybe the officer crafted a story later. But it is telling that the officer essentially observed him acting strangely, that she never ordered him to put his hands up, according to her. We won't know because she wasn't wearing a body camera, despite the fact that they had gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars from the federal government and they should have had body cameras on. Would have been better for her and more useful to all of us. Um, And apparently the guy may have had PCP in his car as well. Now, should he have died in the street that day? Was it a good shoot? That is debatable. Um... What is clear, however, that's nah, not debatable. No, he, but, sh- he shouldn't have died in the street. Well, listen, day. no, listen, I'm, I'm saying it's debatable. Look, the, the, no, he shouldn't have died. Look, in the street. I, I wish he I wish he hadn't died in the street that day. The question is, did she have justification to fight to discharge her weapon outside? There? Which is slightly and he different. wasn't. Which is slightly that's different. I'm, that's of, what I'm talking should about. He yes. have died should in the street he? I don't want he him should to not have died, died in the street, street that day. Right. But okay. the question. But was it like a justifiable shoot? Perhaps in the sense that. She was giving him commands. He wasn't responding. She pulled out her weapon, according to her, Maybe he's a when, he wasn't, when he wasn't responding to commands. Well, he came to her when she said so. Um, but he would also, she said, get on the ground, and he's walking back to his car. It was odd watching the video, watching him walk back to his vehicle. I'm not excusing anything away. I don't want to see the police shooting unarmed people. I also don't see any reason to rush to judgment and presume racism every single time this happens. And it is telling that the media um, and and that people in general, because I don't I don't blame the media. I don't think the cause and effect works that way. But the emphasis when we look at these stories is so much uh, about race. It's about the racial dynamic. 
when a story turns out to be the black guy actually a black cop actually shot a, a black dude this is somehow less interesting to us. We don't talk about it nearly as much as uh, the, the Daily Caller survey. You may not trust it. Um, suggested uh, in the coverage that we were seeing from publications like the Washington Post and the New York Times. I mean, I generally, I generally don't trust the Daily Caller, but that there was uh, some uh, woman, actually a black writer, a young, a young woman I've never heard of, but she looked at the the coverage of this stuff um, when the initial explosion of media coverage, like Milwaukee is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. There were riots and Absolutely. there was some looting and the rest of it. The, the, the two nights after the shooting... Body cam footage showed not only that the person that was shot was had drawn a, a firearm on the officer, but it was kind of trickled out that the officer was black. The same thing is uh, true in South Carolina. Uh, the officer who pulled the trigger was black. Uh, that stuff gets buried, and the story becomes a lot less interesting at that point because the, we're we're trying to squeeze all this into the the pre fabricated uh um you know idea that we have that, that this is the narrative that is prefabricated and if it doesn't fit in that then we, we have very very little interest it, it also gets it, does, us, it, it gets us to a place where there's easily identifiable virtue heroes and virtue sure. yes. villains. But it, but it also takes us away from problems with policing in uh-huh. general because now we're saying it's problems with racism and per- perception and, you know, what, what, these incurable kind of white supremacists in the way they see a black suspect. That's why he's in the helicopter saying it's a bad dude, not because there are a bunch of people who called and said there's a bad dude running around in the middle of the street. Maybe that's the guy that looks like the bad dude because his car's parked in the and, and middle only, of the street. I don't know. Yeah. I don't and, know. And on the video that we that we all saw, we were only seeing we were only hearing one side of the audio. She had been on the radio before, like actually telling everyone, I have a guy here. He's not responding to commands. And I think he might be high on PCP. So when he Which, says, by the way, is exactly he looks like Rodney he might King be, situation when too. he says he looks like PCP he looks, in the 21st century, it's amazing, I, yeah, I it's amazing that people are still, I, I didn't know that either. But, but, but when, yeah. but when you, but when you say it looks like he might be on something and that's all people hear, the rest of that story is apparently he had been told at least it seems by someone else that he wasn't responding to commands. And then it looks like he might be on something. This story is not nearly as cut and dry as it might seem. It doesn't mm-hmm. fit you know, Camille, your biases I, nearly as well as you would like. When I think about you, I think about someone who's really respectful of people uh, issuing and receiving commands uh-huh. <laughs> and making sure that they're not high on illegal drugs. So I'm glad well, that we're true. Huh, you definitely yeah. don't do that. I, I will tell, Camille, you, I'll I, tell you, I'm, look, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not browbeating anyone and telling them that they have to do things in a particular way. My wife gets really upset because when I have had interactions with the police, which is not frequently, but I, I got pulled over recently. Um, here in New York, driving, I have an exchange. Driving while not black? Uh, no, I was driving and I changed lanes without uh, indicating. But look, it's New York City. People jaywalk all day long. Um, and there was no one on the road. It's three in the morning. The guy stops me and he starts to ask me some questions. Um, and I say, why did you stop me? And I repeat it over and over again. And he starts to open my door. And I said to him, you're going to try that with me. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he just kind of looked at me and he closed my door again. And then he shot him. <laughs> and he asked me for ID. And then I said again, why did you stop me? He explained and gave him my ID. And he came back and said, have a nice night. Yeah. I didn't get a ticket. Look, I, I don't know. I'm not basing my perspective on that anecdote, though. My perspective is on the, is based on my perspective on these issues is based on the facts. And the facts, so far as I'm concerned, are there are far too many people that are shot by police who aren't armed and were the you, process by which we adjudicate yeah. the process worried? by which we adjudicate these things yeah. is not at all look trans is not necessarily as transparent as it ought to be. We, was we, I worried about that cop shooting me when yeah. I didn't get out of the car? Yeah. No. 
I just I was I was because you're kind of lipping yeah. up. Yeah, no, I just don't. I don't, I don't like ta- Camille, being talked down to. Camille and I, I think we talked about this the other day of of everything being put, you know, through or viewed through the, through the prism of race. Um, if there's a, enough evidence that we not enough evidence, if the characters are of the right composition, right? Mm-hmm. If there's a cop that does this and a and a and a civilian who's this, and you know, it's a white cop and a black civilian, et cetera. Uh, these situations, you know, we can construct these things pretty quickly. The thing that's amazing to me about about the situation, the, the Charlemagne thing, to go back to that a little bit, sure, and the responses that people, uh, uh, you know, provide on Twitter. Um, these kind of subliterate, angry, hateful responses that you get on Twitter is that when when I was younger, it, it was the idea coming out of the 60s and the pedagogy of the sort of 80s was, you know, I had a, a middle school history class that once one section is a year long class, seventh grade. Um, the first bit was about slavery and the second was about the Holocaust. And so we had this kind of it was like a <laughs> South Park episode. Right? It was like, you know, and so it, it was about kind of. You know, all these kind of progressive teachers, they're all lovely and they're all friends of mine still of healing the divides and the rest of it. And it was all about getting away from essentializing based on race. Right. Which is actually pretty smart. I think I was I, I'm glad that that was my that that was my education. And, you know, I had, you know, busing in my school and the rest of it. And it's a weird thing and kind of a whiplash to see where we've come that Camille, for instance, says, here, here's some views that I have, because we all have different views. We all read different things. We all have different backgrounds. And this is what was taught to me as a kid when diversity meant, let's talk about backgrounds. Let's talk about economic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your family's religious backgrounds and how that informs who you are, because it creates who you are, right? So, you know, Camille might come from a particular background and think a particular thing, right? He might have stumbled across in college, a, you know, Fun Mises book or, <laughs> or John McWhorter's book or whatever it might be. And it has, <laughs> has an influence on him in some way. Both things that happened. Both things that happened. And, um, you know, have sort of slightly different, different views. He might have started a business. That business might have been very, very successful. And he might live in a particular place. He might pay a particular rate of taxes. And that's a difficult thing. And then no <laughs> the, only, the only thing that I was taught that we shouldn't do is what's done to Camille when he has views that the host of this show uh, disagrees with, but respectfully disagrees with, is that, like, how is this guy, he's a coon, number one. How could he possibly be black? Because we're going back, we've returned to the essentializing by race, is that if I were to say somebody to somebody, you eat X food uh, because you're black. This is what black people eat. And I said this in public, people would vomit on me. If I said this in public at my work, People would be like, "Are you kidding? Are you, yeah. do you are you employing these stereotypes about black people? You're saying they eat chicken or watermelon or they do this, they play basketball, blah blah blah." If I said any of those things, I think rightfully so too, because it's a numbskull thing to say. I would be uh, asked to pack up my desk and leave, right? And I think that all of my colleagues would actually support that decision. If you do that in the other way of saying Camille is not <laughs> acting black enough, because these are the black things that black people do. Um, it's, it's, you know, a smart thing. It's a heroic thing. It's a normal thing and people gang up and he's the bad guy. Um, and those are the guys who are just, you know, sort of in the BLM movement or sort of sympathetic to it. I find it so almost pornographic that nobody is offended by the fact that essentializing, uh, uh, people by race has now flipped. It's now gone from, to, I mean, look, the alt-right people still exist and they are disgusting, but we have a media that calls them out. 
We have people that call them. We yeah. have a right that calls them out. We have people like on the mainstream right that say none of this stuff, you know, the, the Charles Cooks of the world and the Kevin Williamson's on the NRO side and, you know, the neocon, whatever it might be. I, I don't see enough of this on the nation left and on the what is now the New Republic left, I guess people that still exist, where people say, you know what, guys, we are the party. We are the ideology of anti-racism. We are the ideology of, you know, sort of leveling the playing field economically, socially, et cetera. We want to fight against the, 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 the scourge of racism in America's terrible past. But you know what? <laughs> Let's not think black people, Hispanic people, Jewish people, whatever, are one thing. And if they don't fit in that, then we're going to excommunicate them from the tribe that we are not even a part of. Because a, uh, a lot of times it's white people doing it. I was uh, just today working on a column that's late, and I'm sorry, Catherine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're listening listen. to this, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. Thank God she named the show. Um, oh yeah, uh, about uh, the collectivist uh, tendency in uh, this uh, presidential uh, election, and we yeah. talk, I think I talked about this last time, the time before on this program of that basket of deplorables as part of that. Yeah. Um, as is uh, Trump talking about the you know the Mexican heritage of Judge Curiel and these kind of things. And I went uh, and I looked up a quote, and you guys know me uh, for a while now. I mean, Camille and I spooned in Switzerland like four or five years ago. <laughs> Co-host of the TV that. show, yeah. Yeah. Moynihan and I um, uh, go way back. Years, yeah. Uh, it's kind of it's getting long in the tooth here. How many oh, times yeah. have I quoted Ayn Rand to you? Zero, ne- never, Zero. Never. Yeah, never. I don't. Never. I, I don't like Ayn Rand's writing. Sure, because it's bad. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. Mostly, it's bad writing. And uh, and and there was a there was a Facebook group called Get Matt Welch to Read uh, uh, Ayn Rand um, because they people were or Get Matt Welch to Read Atlas Shrugged. I think Scott Ross is part of this. Uh, <laughs> is it Scott Ross, Justin Raimondo? Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. A Mind thing. meld. I got yeah. to page seventy three, but anyways, I was uh, I looked up. She has one of the best quotes about this. It's not only a great quote about this, and and it's building exactly uh, what you were just saying, Michael. But it also kind of explains Camille. Yeah. So racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism. That's true. Yeah. Um, which is a very good line. Uh, and then later on, like every other form of collectivism, racism is a quest for the unearned. I'm pointing yeah. at Camille right yes. now. And he's yeah, nodding. I talk about that a lot. It is a quest for automatic knowledge. Yes. For an automatic evaluation of men's characters that bypasses the responsibility of exercising rational or moral judgment. And above all, a quest for an automatic self-esteem or pseudo self-esteem. Yeah, yeah. That's a I good, think there's a hell of a lot of wisdom. I'm, I'm familiar I, with I, that I, and I think I, it's beautiful. I, I, I'm not a fan of, uh, of the, the Russian lady, but that is exactly <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And it is incumbent upon, um, I think, libertarians and people that are kind of in the individualist kind of uh, of the individualist kind of bent persuasion to, to persuasion to say that, like, how can it's the exact opposite of this moment in American history. Now, the moment that is so dominant that that Matt, Matt Stone and Trey Parker decided to make uh, what, 10, 11 episodes last season. That is one single arc, which, by the way, I've been rewatching and is the most brilliant thing ever produced on television about this obsession with identity. It's identity, identity, which subsumes any characteristics or qualities that you have as an individual. And like individualism, I mean, compared to what is going on now, where we essentialize everything. And I'll say, um, we're kind of running long here. So let me, let me just say this, that I'll, I can seg into some idiot wrote this. I posted it on my Twitter account. And a bunch of people, uh, Fifth Column fans, said, you really should make this yourself. No, don't do that yet, because I, I got a thing. You got a thing? Okay, well, um, uh, you know, I'll hold off on it. But it, <laughs> there's a bridge to the, uh, the the madness 
of modern identity politics. And one thing I'll say before we go to Camille here is that Lionel Shriver, who is a great novelist, a liberal woman, lives in New York City, um, and she wrote the, the book We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is a, was a fantastic novel, and she's a brilliant, brilliant novelist. Um, a woman of the left, spoke at an Australian literary festival, and she uh, thought she gave what she thought was an uncontroversial speech in which she made a thunderous, very funny speech about the stupidity of the idea of cultural appropriation because the entire Amen. job of the novelist is to uh, appropriate other people's lives and cultures and inhabit them and try to tell stories. And what it does to a novelist, if, if, you, if you're not allowed to sort of, quote unquote, appropriate a culture. And <laughs> a woman in the, in the audience um, who I believe was, you know, um, an Afro-Australian writer um, wrote about it and said she was so wounded by this that it was as if, you know, somebody was like you know, beating her in the head with a hammer that she had to leave uh, Lionel Shriver's very benign but quite funny talk. And Shriver wrote about this. There was a piece in The Guardian. The um, Literary Festival apologized. They pulled her speech from offline. Oh, the yeah. most innocuous thing in the world. So Shriver wrote about this in The New York Times about um, cultural appropriate, appropriation and what it is when we've essentialized race so much that it's become a thing where it's an island in which nobody is allowed to visit unless invited. There's no free travel. There's no tourist visa to this island. And you cannot recreate anything from that in a painting or a sketch or anything because that is the domain and the property of that group. That's how crazy we've gotten. And Shriver, I'm just recommending everybody read Lionel Shriver's piece in the New York Times about this. And of course, the time, only the Times would do this, by the way. I'm sure that everybody there disagreed with, with, with her piece. There, were a, like, there was a follow-up, an anti-Lionel Shriver piece that ran two, three days ago. Are there anti-Paul Krugman pieces that ran two, three <laughs> days later? No, it's only this. But anyway, Camille, just to say that, 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 that that's a fantastic piece and you should read it. No, no, it's really good. Uh, so look, I, I want to I maybe try to put a bookend on this. Look, I have a, I have a particular interest in like race and, and tribalism and, and all this other stuff, and it has nothing to do with what well, that's it's not true that it has nothing to do with my appearance. It is not principally motivated by my appearance um, and my personal experience as a quote unquote black man. Mm. Um, it, it has everything to do with sort of my philosophical underpinnings. And I've talked before about Zora Neale Hurston and this passage from Dust Track in the Ro Dust Tracks in the Road, where she talks about race pride um, and how she abolished it because she had no use for it. It had to go um, because you cannot have. The, the notion of having uh, a, a great deal of pride in the accomplishments of other people who happen to look like you um, is is empty and hollow. And if you own that, then you also have to own all of the baggage, yeah, exactly. all of the bad things that these people that happen to look like you um, have. My my loyalty is not to black folk who happen to look like me or even to my family in particular, but to humanity on a whole. And then my family and friends that I sort of choose like that is that's how I do it. And that's it. It stops there. And the reason it stops there is because I think there are all sorts of important insights and lessons that we that we miss out on when we get caught up in this fiction of race. And race is a fiction. It is a social construct, which isn't to say that it, is, it has no ramifications and there aren't real ways in which we enact, interact with it in society. But we should always be trying to rise above this artificial construct and not be constrained by it and not try to redeem it and not invest it with a virtue that it just lacks. It doesn't yeah. have. Um, it doesn't have to be beautiful. You can just not care about it the way I just don't care about it. And there are sort of two two last sort of related points. Um, the first is uh, I recently started reading um, a, a book about uh, Russian serfdom 
Um, and like Russian, you do. Russian, yeah, like you do when you have interests that are that are as strange as ours. Um, and it's called Unfree Labor. Um, and I was I was sort of blown away by like the scale and scope of Russian serfdom um, at the exact same time that slavery existed in the colonial United States. Sure. Um, and the numbers are kind of startling. I think I have them in front of me. I think at like its peak um, around the, the time of the Civil War, there were like three or four million um, slaves, African slaves in the United States. Um, which represented, you know, fairly a, a significant percentage of the United States population, but not uh, not huge. In Russia, on the other hand, nearly half of the population of the country, something like yeah. 40 million people were sure. enslaved, half of which were in serfdom, which is effectively slavery. They were bound to the land. They couldn't leave. They were beaten. They could be killed. There were any number of things that could happen to them. Um, but they were enslaved as well. Um, and what is amazing is that Russia and the United States at this point, very different places culturally. Um, but somehow, and there is a lot of historical evidence to support this, those two um, institutions of slavery, which we have had with us since the beginning of, of, of humanity, um, had come to be very similar. The social stratification had come to look a lot the same. The justifications were a lot the same. Um, and for me, most of the conversation about race in this country is about the unique deprivations, the unique horrors that have been visited upon black people. And what I've always tried to push people to, to acknowledge is that that is our shared common lot as, as mankind, as humanity, that most people throughout most of history have been subjugated. Um, and you shouldn't ignore that. Um, and you certainly, you shouldn't ignore it because there's a, there's a lesson there. There's something worth understanding and getting um, that you are that that freedom is precious and wonderful and remarkable and you should you should acknowledge it. And then the last point quickly, uh, I've talked about this before as well, but James Baldwin's Fire Next Time, there's a passage in there um, about um, blackness. And I, I actually have it up on my Twitter feed right now. But quickly, the that sinners have always for American Negroes been white is a truth we needn't labor. And every American Negro, therefore, risks having the gates of paranoia close on him in a society that is entirely hostile and by its nature seems determined to cut you down that has cut down so many in the past and cuts down so many every day, it begins to be almost impossible to distinguish between real and fancied injury. One can very quickly cease to attempt the distinction. And what is worse, one usually ceases to attempt it without realizing that one has done so. Um, that's potent. That's 1962. He was seeing all of the horrible like racial stratification and, and all of the awful things that were happening in society. He was living it and he somehow understood that you could start to imagine bad things in addition talk, to the bad things that are happening. He was talking about the mindfuck. I mean, I wanted him to, I wonder if he was hanging out with Philip K. Dick. Can, can, I, can I pretend that Camille is not here and yeah. just talk directly to you, Matt, and yeah, say, that was, uh, I think that was one of uh, my top five Camille rants right there. Oh, yeah. That was a great Camille, uh, Camille rant. Can we... Can we get Chad out there to like cut that and move it to the top of the show <laughs> yeah. so we can get people engaged? And so have, so fucking no, that, is, that is an amazing so, Camille yeah, rant. There we go. Camille has, uh, has a, a flow 
that I love and that that last time That's I crazy. saw that was on was, 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 like he's in the hip hop. He's got yo man, you flow is. No, but when when you did a thing on I guess it was Fox and Friends uh, or something, and it was totally out of place on that show, which is like kind of a dunderheaded show in some ways. And ouch. Camille, I'm sorry, They're very nice. Camille, to me. But by the way, the person that was on that show. Um, who I disagree with on a lot of things, but as a friend of mine is uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, who I've known for many years and I think is a very sweet guy. And you went on this rant, and if you haven't seen this, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, Camille Foster um, talking uh, on Fox and Friends with Tucker. The subject was, um, Camille, remind uh, me, it was... The president gave a speech oh, the president's at Howard. Speech, uh, the president's speech at be, Howard. Be confident in your blackness. Exactly, confident in your blackness. And Camille did an uninterrupted, something like that, for four, five minutes... To which the first response, I believe, is from Tucker, who took a, sort of an intake of breath and said, wow, <laughs> you can come back anytime you want. Okay, <laughs> love you. I agree with you. And I was like that. And I sent that to a, to a whole bunch of people. But that was that was uh, top notch uh, Camille ranting. So thank you, Camille. Uh, yeah. There you go. That's why that's why or, I listen to the fifth column. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, it, it yeah. will never, it will yeah. never end. Thanks, Tom. Because because Appreciate my goal it. is to be white. my friend Tom Foster. Tom Foster, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be white like Moynihan? No problem. Uh, no problem. No problem, guys. Michael. I think you had something else you wanted to give us today. <laughs> I'm trying to explain. He's like, you, you sound white. I said, Man. sound, sound. What does white sound like? Yeah. Well, I think you mean. I think you mean syntax. Like I'm speaking properly is what you mean. And I'm on the radio. There's a big audience. Wait, wait you just did I mean, white. You did a pretty good white scent yeah. before there. No, look, I did something very formal. Uh, do I sound white or do I sound black? You tell me. I don't know. Do I sound black? You sound black, but a little self-hating. Yeah, a little self-hating. Yeah, yeah. filled with yeah. self-loathing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, this, no, no. this is what I want. I, yeah. I only want you people to joke like, yeah. about race. <laughs> just don't take it seriously. Yeah, you people. sound like Clarence Thomas. Exactly. Sound, exactly. I've never heard him, but you yeah. sound exactly yeah. like yeah. him. He's totally not black. Like Obama wasn't black before. <laughs> yeah, have you ever he, seen? Have you ever seen that? Do you remember? We're going way long. I'm sorry. Jesus well, now Christ. I started. Like, I started. No, let me just finish this quickly. And that started late. But anyways, do you remember the article about Michelle Obama and Barack Obama when someone asked them about their like? lived experience with racism yeah um and michelle obama starts to tell some story about being in target and someone asking her to get something like off of a shelf michelle obama is 26 like twenty two thousand yeah. feet tall <laughs> like, i would ask her to help me get something off yeah. the shelf and not yeah. because i presume that she works there solange uh knowles beyonce's sister oh has written this God. horrible screed she's a uh, um, parents of my school or was is oh, she right, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how yeah. fancy I am. I sat yeah. next to her. Once I don't live in a Frank, Frank Gehry building. I sat but, next to her uh, at a Frank Ocean public, concert. Public school, by the Frank, Frank Ocean school, concert. Public school. Yeah. But but she wrote this screed, and the whole thing is about like all of these places where she goes, where people presume that she's not supposed to be there. Like she gets in the in the first class line at the airport, which I I got in the mint line for JetBlue today. Literally, no one and thinks this. By the way, it's fine. Well, well, she gets in line, and someone, yeah. and they're like, "Well, are you in first class?" They ask. And she wrote it in this in this letter as if that is offensive. How can I live in a world that is so hostile to me that everywhere I go, they presume the worst about me. They don't presume I deserve to be here. If they saw Moynihan, they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing here? Seriously, every time I fly first class, which is only Bill Maher, only Bill Maher show. When I'm like, I walk up, they usually pepper spray me and I'm like on the ground and I, I hold up the ticket and I'm like, seriously, yeah. it's premiere boarding I'm, or whatever. I'm with, and they drag me into my seat. Yeah. And with her, everyone, they, she they walks, pull the curtain around yeah, you. They pull the curtain like, around yeah. me. Like, it's like delousing pen. It's like, and, and unless like, she comes out, everyone's like, oh my God, it's fucking Beyonce's sister. That's why they're looking at you, <laughs> asshole. And the, the thing is, she, like, she said she went to a craft work concert and like she, that, that someone yelled at her and like it was, it was this big racial incident. And it was like, seriously, there is nobody who listens 
racist crap <laughs> in America who's a racist. It's like this is not not a racist demographic. Well, she for said crap someone. She said someone hit her. She said someone hit her with a lime wedge. But she says that is what set the whole thing off. Someone hit her with a lime. But even in the piece. She never says, I saw who threw the lime. She presumes it was these women. Yeah. Like the whole but thing. But it was also that she was dancing in an aisle when everyone was sitting down and someone yeah. told her to in the sit front down. Row. Yeah, the front she row. She was dancing in the front yeah. row of her box. But she didn't, she didn't People deserve don't dance to be anymore. there. No, not at not a craftwork shows because that's like forty five year old like white hipsters. That's not that's not where it's. When at, we saw man. the Cure at Madison Square Garden. Oh god, everyone was lying in barca loungers. <laughs> I'm sorry. sleeping on the floor. I'm sorry, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily need to tell that story, but I just I'm, I'm remembering like all of these uh, just weird circumstances under which people say, "Well, that that there it is. There's the racism. So I found do it." Do you have like the tourists come up and ask to touch your hair? Isn't that the big uh, the big one? I've had that happen in in China, um, but I mean I'm in China. And I suspect they don't see hair like mine a lot. Um, maybe they're racist, but that's not America. Did you let them touch it doesn't it? happen here. Did you let them touch it? No, but I did take some pictures with a couple of people who had no idea who I was, but did know that I looked different. Famous but basketball do remember, man. Do you remember when Barack Obama, did, like something similar happened on 60 Minutes where this, she says, Barack could get shot going to the gas station. No, he couldn't. Yeah. No, he <laughs> couldn't. Why would he get shot going to the gas station? Yeah. Because black men are killed at a higher rate. Well, but, yeah, but usually by people they know. And usually when they're engaging in something else, why would Barack get shot going to the gas station? No one was skeptical of that. Barack was the last time said like upper middle class like professor like he was before he became president, before he got into the state senate and before he became a senator. That like was just like walking to the gas station in like Concord, Massachusetts. I don't know. And it was like, oh, there's like, uh, let's just shoot him in the back. Well, Go ahead, just shoot. I mean, does it happen? <laughs> I, maybe it does happen. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just doesn't seem. Like I don't it know. Does. Anyway. You, you had a, some idiot wrote this. We are. Uh, this yeah, is we're a way we're way along. And, and you know, it's it's um, it's something that. Uh, that I posted on Twitter, <laughs> and then I got some grief, one, grief from one uh, libertarian on uh, my Facebook page. Uh, Did you all see the air quotes? Yeah, there? yeah. <laughs> Can you see air quotes? Uh, I posted uh, a piece from uh, New York Magazine. It was a, <laughs> it's a video piece, and I'll tell you what: the person who attacked me for this on 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 uh, Facebook, Is it the quote unquote libertarian, yeah, yeah. who said who who was like, you know, you just got trolled. And I was like, you know, I didn't actually. And they, it turns out they were serious. But that shows you how Banana's life has become that he was like, like, oh, you know, you just got trolled by people like making fun of you. But the video was this. It was about sexism in Hollywood and how, oh, my God, I can't believe this is real, that the the sort of knee plus ultra version of sexism in Hollywood is the fact that there are no female characters in Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> which is a movie, a kind of homoerotic movie, kind of, a kind of about World War One, and you know, like not a lot of like women, like it's, it's not about like white dudes fucking Bedouins in the ass, yeah, in the yeah. Desert. I mean, pretty much, and then and then you know, Jeez, well, T in seven. What? In Seven Pillars of Wisdom, T.E. Lawrence book, which is very good, by the way. Incredible. It's fantastic. And he does reference this. Within I, the first, like, yeah, three pages. And it's not even obliquely. He's like, I was actually in the forest. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I was wearing a big white caption that I found a very nice little boy. And, like, it, but, but so, there's no women in his mind, much less in this film. And so there's a video with these people dead. And it was like, it got Oscars. And you know what? There were no women in it. You can't put a woman in this movie. And so, once <laughs> Ravish is 
1962 or 1963, which is about the battlefields of the Ottoman Empire. You know, no women soldiers in the Ottoman Empire. Sorry to say. Um, you know, by the way, if if, if they have a problem uh, with that, they might um, have a beef with like Islamism and not with <laughs> Hollywood because that there were no women in the Ottoman Empire kind of loping about looking to, you know, open a fucking muffin stand or something. This, it's just like the most insane thing. I thought it was fake. Um, it's not fake, uh, and uh, and that's my uh, some idiot wrote slash made a video about this. Uh, mine is quick. Uh, Tim Kaine, uh, who will be debating with uh, who's the guy who's the uh, Trump's Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Mike I Pence guess. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's my favorite he's world in, leader in the uh, witness uh, protection <laughs> uh, program. Kaine uh, came out and said he's part of this fifty-five million dollar campaign bankrolled by Tom Steyer, the uh, environmental alarmist guy, billionaire. Um, to uh, try to uh, tell millennials in swing states that Gary Johnson is the devil. Um, so as part of that, uh, Tim Kaine said, uh, well, you know, these kids don't understand, but uh, these this vote, you know, support for third parties can have incredible ramifications. For instance, you know, we probably wouldn't have had an Iraq war um, if it weren't for these meddling kids voting for Ralph Nader back then. Uh, this is so rich and amazing to retroactively mm-hmm. uh, declare Al Gore some kind of Iraq peacenik. Al Gore, who yes. uh, was writing love letters to Ahmed Khalabi in 1993, in 2000, when he was running for president, saying, I remain fully supported to regime change and helping. The, the Iraq Liberation Act was 1998 under what president? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure the vice president was Al Gore. <laughs> Uh, back at the time, yeah. uh, amazing yeah. Al Gore, whose political career, besides uh, being inherited from the Gore family uh, in uh, in uh, Tennessee, was made because he was kind of the swing vote or the swing speech about authorizing the first Gulf War right. back then. And he's bragged on that forever, saying, you know, I was always trying to tell uh, my Democratic friends that they need to be uh, tougher for American security. Yep. He gave an incredible speech in front of AIPAC in uh, May of 2000, talking in paragraph after paragraph of... I will never waver in my support for keeping all options on the table to deliver freedom of the peoples of Iraq. The idea that somehow people voting for Ralph Nader uh, were responsible for the Iraq war is just nonsense. Even if you look at Al Gore's own comments in 2002 about what we should do, uh, what George W. Bush should do to disarm uh, Saddam Hussein. So, Tim Kaine, you're an idiot, and I look and, forward to you. Uh, and by the way, on the Democrats, my final thought, and we will uh, walk out and uh, from this, and Camille <laughs> maybe has a, some idiot wrote this too, but, uh, you know, Donald Trump in the debate on Monday is talking about... Uh, you know, whether he opposed uh, the Iraq war, he supported the Howard Stern interview. No, no, no. Call Sean Hannity. You know, don't be a dope. Donald Trump, turn around to the woman who who was a rock rib supporter of the Iraq war in Hillary Clinton. Just just ask her. I mean, the woman was the senator from New York. And what did she did she vote for or against the Iraq war? Yeah. She voted for it. So why not just turn that around on her? These people are so damn stupid. And he's so stupid that he's like, I got to, you know, I, I got to defend this attack. Call Sean Hannity. <laughs> no, that was a Howard Stern thing. Rosie O'Donnell. Like, wait, who are we talking about? In a presidential she debate? was in power. She made the wrong decision. Yeah. And she has said that. And I think that's probably the best way to respond to that, by the way. Yeah. So anyway, Camille, do we wrap up or do you got something? That's it. We're going to stop. I've, okay, said, cool. I've said plenty. Cool, cool, um, cool, I think cool. this was a, I think this was a great show. I, I'll tell you what, show. even if no one show. else enjoyed it, I enjoyed spending I time with you, gentlemen. I thought this was the best show. Yeah, you know. I did. This is our best show. I did.
It's pretty good. Was it? I actually think so. Yeah. Wow. Twenty six. Top yeah. five. Top be- three. Be- wow. Be- because of uh, Camille's rant. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're so generous. That's soft bigotry true, of low true. expectations. It, it really is. Which the flip <laughs> side of Michael the person of this podcast. But the flip side of the soft bigotry of low expectations is awesome, and I have been benefiting from yeah, it yeah, all my yeah. life. That's why he's so fucking rich. If you're truly, if you're truly extraordinary, yeah, and yeah. then they, they expect very little from you, yeah, yeah. there's no twice as good Tommy no. PC. Exactly. What? It's not twice as good. I don't have to it's be half twice as good. as good. I could be half as good, and I'd still be dope. And what I'm saying is, I'm twice as good as most people and it makes me quadruply dope and on that note <laughs> we out we know of new methods of attack the Trojan horse